Good morning, church family. So, why did Christ come? We've been talking about that for a few weeks now. Um, and we're going to talk about that again today. But Happy New Year's Eve to all y'all. Um, wow, that was late. Happy New Year's Eve. <laughs> How many of you guys are going to stay up late and celebrate? Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> dude. I bought a shirt the other day that says I'm a party animal until 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is anyone going to make resolutions for the new year? I think resolutions are a good thing um, most of the time if we're truly committed to them. But if not, then I think what we're actually doing is inoculating ourselves against the consequences of breaking promises, which is, I mean, that, that's actually a sermon for another time, but I, I think that's a terrible thing. To, uh, to do that, to, to just get used to making promises to ourselves or to the Lord even and then breaking them. I think we should not do that. So um, if you're going to make a promise, take it seriously. So anyway, um, something to consider. I, I want the kids to look alive here because we're, we're doing some, there's some pictures up there for you. Um, we're going to do part four today of our sermon series, Why Did Christ Come or Why Did Jesus Come? And again, this series is not comprehensive. There are a whole lot more reasons that the Word became flesh, than the reasons I'm going to share with you today. Um, but, but we've been looking at four main reasons that are expressed in the usually Holy Spirit-led speeches of Luke's Gospel. Okay, and first we looked at the exchange between Elizabeth and Mary. You guys probably remember that if you were here. How uh, Christ came to show us God's upside-down kingdom. And then we looked at um, the Zechariah's speech about the coming Messiah and how he shows God's faithfulness. And then we looked at... at uh, Last Sunday, we, we read the angel's proclamation to the shepherds, and we looked at, at their reaction to it, and, and really uh, how Jesus came to spread this good news of this gospel of peace. Well, this week, we're going to talk about a fourth reason, based on what the Holy Spirit spoke through an old man named Simeon. So why don't we open with prayer? God, uh, in Jesus' name, I just ask for each person here that our hearts are prepared. May we be good soil. We ask that the word will take root and bear fruit in our lives, not just um, for, for our own edification, but for the edification of one another and for your glory in the world, God. We know that people, people are looking at the church right now, and people are looking at the true church, which is shining like stars, even in the midst of so many false professing churches that are not preaching or living according to your word. And God, I pray, I pray that we will be shining lights, Lord. We ask this morning that the things that are, are spoken here are taken and then and, and go deep, and that we bring them home and we live our lives accordingly. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the next few minutes, um, some of you will probably appreciate this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to cover anything that is specifically in the outline, and so you're welcome to take notes if you want to, and the space is provided for notes, um, or you can just relax and listen, but don't fall asleep. Um, this, I know, this is the verse that's uh, immediately following the narrative of the shepherd. So verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. And at the end of eight days, uh, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, or Yeshua, the Lord saves, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You may remember that, that the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, you may remember that the angel Gabriel also appeared to Mary. Um, and he was, uh, it was determined that he was going to have the name Yeshua, 
which is a very common name then, just as it is now, Joshua. Um, now, all Jewish males, this is a reminder, uh, Jesus was Jewish, okay? <laughs> just a reminder. So not everybody remembers that Jesus was Jewish, and he, was, he grew up under the Jewish law. He was Jewish by birth and law, and all Jewish males were to be circumcised on the eighth day after being born, which is something that God put in place in his great wisdom, not just as a sign of his people, but also because God has intimate wisdom of the human body. Did you know science has empirically discovered that day eight is the day that that a human being has the highest level of vitamin K in their blood in their whole life? That's a clotting agent. Did you know that? It's almost like God knows stuff. You know, he tends to plan well. Uh, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, this would be the 40th day after a son is born under Mosaic law. And then Luke gives more details. uh, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy or consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff here, I, I feel like. First of all, every firstborn male in the Israelite community was to be formally dedicated to the Lord. Okay? Now, if, if you were a, a livestock, then you were actually offered as a blood sacrifice. But each firstborn human male was, was either to be uh, consecrated in service to the temple, which was in the case of the Levite tribe, or else he had to be redeemed with a payment of five shekels to the temple. Now, five shekels, you know, we don't really know what that is uh, typically, but I I looked it up, and it was about, um, it was roughly 15 denarii. So you're looking at maybe two and a half weeks of daily pay. It's a significant amount of money. Okay, now, if you think about how much we pay the hospital when we have babies nowadays, it's really not that much. But anyway, um, so they had to be offered at the temple and then redeemed with these five shekels. In other words, bought back. I think that's very interesting. Um, so the mother and father pay for approximately two and a half works, uh, week, weeks worth of work. And then it's also cool to note, a lamb would have been offered on day eight. It doesn't mention that in Luke's uh, gospel this time, but um, for a firstborn son, a lamb is offered on day eight. And then two pigeons or two turtle doves was considered an acceptable sacrifice for a poor family if you could not afford uh, a lamb. Okay, so then a woman was, was considered unclean until the 40th day after the child was born, so she wasn't allowed to go to the temple and worship, which I, I think actually that may have been a blessing from God, like given to new mothers so that they don't have to be required to just dive you know, right back into society right off the bat. So after the rite of purification, uh, Mary would have been able to, to rejoin the, the Jewish worship community, the, the religious aspects of life. So anyway, if you want more info on this stuff, on these laws, you can look at uh, Exodus 13, Leviticus 12, and Numbers uh, 18. Yes. Okay, so we're going to keep going. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I want you to pause there for a second. The consolation of Israel is a reference to the Messiah. Because he is the one who is to come, who is to bring peace. All right? And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's pretty awesome. I mean, if you think about it, like 
for, for one thing, this is the only place in the Bible that we read about Simeon. Okay? And, and yet God has specifically chosen to reveal to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. Why? I have a theory. Okay? Could be wrong. I think it was due to the fact that Simeon was righteous and devout. Okay, now, we know that no one gets into heaven based on their own good works. Okay, we know that. Scripture is very clear about that. But we also know that rewards in heaven, and sometimes in this life, come as a result of a person's obedience to the Lord. And so listen, if you want to see more of God's hand in your life, if you want to experience His revelation in your life, then work on being pure and faithful. I think that's a pretty good you know, definition of what righteous and devout means. Being pure and faithful. Trying not to do anything that's wrong, that you know is wrong, and always trying to do what's right. So, so that, listen, that's what Christians are supposed to do. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody grew up with that, but we need to understand that. We're not just called to, thank God I'm saved by grace and I'm going to go and do whatever I want. No. If you're saved, if you're justified, you will be being sanctified. That is scriptural. So I'm just wanting to make sure we're all on the same page here before we continue. Anyway, and he, Simeon, came in uh, in the spirit into the temple. Now, now pause again. Isn't it awesome that this, this old man was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he, he knew to get up and to go in that moment to the temple? Like he just knew he was supposed to do that? And maybe that's another advantage of trying to be righteous and devout as you hear from the Holy Spirit a little more clearly. So I'm going to restate what I think. I've said this many times, but, but what I think Romans 12, 2 is hinting at. If you want to hear more from the Lord, then obey what you know. If you want the Lord to reveal more to you in your Christian walk, then look at what He's already very clearly revealed to you in the pages of Scripture and live accordingly. When we do that, that's when he gives us more revelation of what specific things in our lives we're supposed to be doing. It will never conflict with Scripture, by the way. I just want to make sure you're aware of that. The Holy Spirit does not uh, contradict the Word of God. Anyway, um, and when the parents brought the child Jesus in they, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, this is Simeon, I, I'm, I'm, it blows my mind. There's some random guy just walks up and goes, give me that baby, you know, but it says, he, he, he came and took him in his arms up in his arms, you know, like the, whatever. But so he lifts up this baby, and, and, and it says he blessed God, and then dot, 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 right? What did he say? What did he say? Before we look at what he said, let's bounce back to the main theme of this message, which is that Christ came in order to reveal. He came for revelation. That's, that's what revelation means in its purest sense, to have something revealed. Okay, so, or, or exposed. And what Simeon is about to say here, under the Holy Spirit's direction, is that the Messiah is going to reveal truth to the world in, in I think, two, two major categories here. The, the, the more obvious of the two is God's salvation. Now, we, we talked about this last week, how, how Christ is the source of peace between God and mankind. Okay? And how his role is very different, though, from how the Jews perceived it to be. They're expecting something else, right? Jesus was not what most people in the nation of Israel were looking for. You know, or they, he was, but they didn't know. <laughs> they were looking in the wrong places. 
so to speak. So the salvation, though, that Jesus provides is far greater than any human expectation. And the other thing that we see the coming of the Messiah would reveal is the depths of man's sin. Now, obviously, this, this is a lot less pleasant a subject. You know, however, we, we need to recognize that it is man's sin. It, it's our sin that requires salvation. If it were not for the former, we would not need the latter. And obviously, this is something that, that we struggle with. Romans, Romans 11 tells us that God has consigned all to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on all. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to understand, I think, just, just how much God loves people because it doesn't make any sense in a human economy. You know, but that, you mentioned it this, this morning, Dennis, from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's hard for us to grasp, but that is, that's just who God is. That is his character. So we're going to take a look now at what Simeon actually says. So if you got your bulletin insert, we're getting to it. All right, Lord. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, I can die now. Okay? For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And his Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Yeah, have you ever like really just thought about, like pondered in your mind, just how little Mary and Joseph seemed to have understood about this child? I don't think they fully got it. You know, even after Jesus began his public ministry, you know, 30 years after this, Mary thought he'd cracked, you know, like... She, she goes and gets his brothers, and they try to, try to bring him home. And they, this just, they, they didn't see what a big thing God was going to do here. It, it, but through the Holy Spirit, it looks like Simeon knew. I think that's amazing. For one thing, he said, this Messiah would be a light for all the nations. There's a reason I capitalized all. This is one of the most amazing things said about Jesus, especially in this context. Okay, my folks were visiting over Christmas. My dad and I were sitting on the couch and we were discussing this passage. And he brought up something I never really, I never really thought about it. That, that Simeon said this in in the temple in public. That was probably a scandalous thing for him to say. I mean, you, you, well, why? Well, because he's stating that the Christ was also coming to bless the Gentiles. You remember that the Jews had always viewed themselves as the people of God. Right? And when the Messiah came, their expectation was that Israel was once again going to take like the highest position in the world stage. They're expecting another Davidic reign. And they believed you know, Israel was going to be elevated, all the other nations were going to be subjugated, and they got the first part right, but they didn't understand that the Messiah would come to illuminate every nation. Every people group would now have access to God. And this would have been a major shock to the religious elite that were there in Jerusalem. You know, and, and if there were any of those folks nearby hearing what Simeon said, they, they probably got you know, their tunics in a twist over it. I mean, they, they probably got really upset to hear this. And so for Jesus to be a light to everybody and not just the Jewish people was that, is the old saying, that pop you hear, 
as a paradigm shifting without a clutch. They were not expecting what was coming. To say that the, the other nations would receive God's favor was a shock. But see, the thing is, it didn't have to be. Like if they had read the prophecies of the Old Testament, they would have known that this was something that was promised. You know, this was a scriptural precedent for God as far back as, as, as Abram. You remember in Genesis 12, 3, he says, how many of the families in the earth will be blessed through you? All. All the families, all the nations, all the peoples will be blessed through Abram. And it's spelled it even more clearly in Isaiah chapter 9. If you look around, uh, this is, you know, this is seven centuries before Jesus was born. The prophet said, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, it says, all Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. I mean, I mean, think about this. Where did Israel become a large ethnic group? Thank you, Egypt, right. Okay, so, so that were, they were enslaved for a long, long time, and God brought them out. Now, which empire completely conquered and assimilated the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C.? The Assyrians? Y'all are catching on quick. Okay, Isaiah was prophesying in the southern kingdom of Judah at the same time that the Assyrians had tried to besiege Jerusalem. And then before the Babylonian Empire even existed, who did actually successfully conquer Jerusalem. So, so he's naming probably the two most infamous Gentile enemy nations that Israel's ever dealt with. And he's saying that they would be worshiping together with God's people. I tried to think of a good example for us to say what, what nations would that be. I couldn't even think of one. We don't even have that contentious a relationship. This, this probably wasn't, you know, appreciated, this, this statement. Anyway, back to Simeon. When he says the Lord has given a light to the Gentiles, that, that's an amazing statement. And it comes to fruition in Jesus because he is the light that's revealing salvation through whom both Jews and Gentiles can be saved. Praise God. Because we wouldn't be here otherwise. So moving ahead, we, we also see that Christ brings a revelation of glory for God's people. And I think, I think this proclamation is aimed at the ethnic nation of Israel specifically. Okay, Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans, there are a lot of great advantages to being Jewish. Right? Jews received the land, the patriarchs, the prophets, the promises. You know, all of this. And also, they are the lineage that God chose to bring forth His Christ. And remember, friends, once again, Jesus was a Jew, Right? I read the book uh, a while back called The Bible Jesus Read. And it's the book about the Old Testament. And, and it blew my mind to think about Jesus growing up in synagogue and, and celebrating, you know, Hanukkah. And, and it's like, he did this stuff, you know? You've you, you got to realize there is, a, there is a context behind the Christ. So salvation, that is for the world, came through the Jews. I mean, what greater glory could there be? And even while under the rule of the Roman Empire, God sent the greatest gift ever, salvation as a person 
who would bless all the inhabitants of earth, bringing more people into the kingdom of God than before. Another prophecy in Isaiah says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. See, glory to God's people is revealed in his Christ. He's producing this salvation that can only come from God. Such a blessing. By the way, on a semi-related note, I don't think God is completely finished with Israel. Um, in fact, I, I think a spiritual revival is probably going to be coming there soon. I, I, God, God has been very involved in the ethnic nation of Israel. Even, even after the church, even after we became the recipients of, of the salvation promises, there, there's certainly a, a parallel of divine activity. I, I recently heard the reason that many people hate Israel is that they actually hate God. And I think that makes sense. It's the same reason that people hate real Christians, though perhaps to a lesser extent. Anyway, back to Simeon. Uh, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the, the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There, there's that word again, right? Revealed. So what, what all is either being or, or going to be revealed? I think one thing we can pull from this is that man's sin results in God's judgment. Not necessarily, although it, obviously in this too, but not necessarily always in the sense of eternal condemnation. Okay? But here, again, God is, is showing his, his judgment, his justice by establishing his upside-down kingdom. You know, he, he points out that, that this child, Simeon points out, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many. Now, with what we know about God's character, okay, what do you think that means? Who will he raise up? The lowly. The humble. The meek. Who, who, who is he going to bring down? Who's going to fall? The proud. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace the humble, right? Do you happen to remember a line from Mary's Magnificat that sounds real, real similar to what Simeon says here? Um, how about when she said, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You know, the Lord is concerned about the poor. He's concerned about the downtrodden and the disenfranchised. And that's probably the main reason that we ought to be too. We should care about what God cares about, okay? But, but those who are of a high and lofty status, who don't pay God the attention that he deserves, they're going to receive their comeuppance one day. And that seems pretty cut and dried, you know. But, but the, the next thing he says about Jesus there is, I think, a little more difficult to understand. He says, this child will be a sign that is opposed. So what's he referring to? Is he saying Jesus is going to be a difficult person when he grows up? Of course not. So what's he saying? You're going to have to bear with me. This is straight up speculation, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. This is Mark's opinion. But it seems to me that Simeon is saying that Christ is going to be a sign of opposition to sin. 
Because remember last week, we, we discussed there are many different ways to interpret the biblical word translated salvation. It always depends on context, okay? And we must often think of it, I think we, we, we most often anyway, think of it in, in the term uh, of, of, of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, right? Like we think of saved, we think of going to heaven. Um, but it's also used to refer in many other ways to, to sanctification, for instance. It's, it's used to refer to even healing, you know, in that place where he says, your faith has saved you, the context there indicates he's talking about the physical healing that occurs. So although it is faith, that saves us ultimately as well. Uh, but, but just listen, bear in mind, the entirety of creation is, is under this, this regime of, of fallenness because of sin, right? And so Jesus, in part, he came to reveal what the world is supposed to be like. I mean, think about it. He, he showed us by his sinless life, right, that the, the, the power of God overcomes the power of sin. And he, he showed us what it's like when a person has perfect, unbroken communion with the Father, which, which sin has ruined. Uh, he, he healed people all over the place, <laughs> which interrupted the, the hold of sin on creation. He died on the cross, making a, a way for mankind to approach the Father by taking the penalty of sin upon himself, and then when he rose from the dead, it showed that the ultimate earthly sting of sin, which is death, had been overcome, had been defeated. So in every way, Jesus did the opposite of what sin does. Where sin separates, Christ reconciles. Where sin corrupts, he cleanses. Where it kills, he heals. Sin brought death. Jesus brings life. And the people who recognized that they needed a Savior, they loved Jesus. They, they recognized. And I, I want to I just make this clear. They didn't just love the idea of Jesus. They loved Christ Himself. They loved Him enough to wash His feet with their tears and their hair. These people recognized their need. But Jesus was also really unpopular with those who thought that they didn't need a Savior because they were without sin, you know? They thought they didn't need to be saved because they were under the deception and the thrall of Satan, who, by the way, Jesus also came to oppose. You know, this fulfills a wonderful scripture in Genesis 3 when God tells that ancient serpent, I will bring enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and Interesting phrase. And your seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, Jesus was struck and he died, but he's alive again. And the devil's time is coming. His time is short. And he knows it. But unfortunately, there are going to be many whose time is going to come along with Satan's because there are many who refuse to accept that this child is from the Lord. They were unwilling to believe. When Simeon said a sword would pierce your own soul also, I think he was referring to how she was going to feel about this common rejection of Jesus Christ as God's salvation and all the, all the pain he's going to endure. You know, you, you parents, um, I think you, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Do you remember the first time that you saw your kid fall down on concrete? And you just, like, everything just tightens up and you, you get that, like, almost that chill feeling because you just, you hate to see that pain. And you know they're going to get up crying. <laughs> or the first time that your child told you one of the 
the kids that they were friends with had treated them badly. Now imagine a kid so well behaved that he would never ever choose to obey, excuse me, choose to disobey his parents. I bet the other parents in the neighborhood loved him. The other kids, probably not so much. I mean, think about it. He probably had a few friends. We know about Lazarus. I think they go way back. Probably had a few friends growing up. Tradition says Joseph died when Jesus was still a young man. And, and then once his ministry started, you know, Mary, she saw her son, who, who we assume was previously employed, you know, become an indigent rabbi. He, he's homeless on purpose, you know? And then maybe, maybe that's part of the reason that she tried to rein him in that one time with his brothers, you know, because maybe, maybe Mary, being Jewish, had the same wrong expectations of the Messiah that everybody else had, you know? We don't know, but we do know what she saw later. She saw her, her perfect, precious son, stripped naked, nailed to a tree after being beaten sadistically and mocked and spat on. And then she watched him be run through with a spear. How terribly her heart must have broken. You know, have, you, have any of you seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? I saw that one time. I saw it in the theater. And during the, I mean, I wept, like, like sobbed, like boo-hooed during the scene of the scourging. I remember sitting there and I had my feet up and I was, like, started tapping on the seat. And I was like, Stop! Stop! Just couldn't believe it. Just, you know, and, and since that time in the theater, I have owned the DVD twice and I still haven't watched it again. It's just so hard to see. And that's an actor who is acting. Imagine if it was your son. Mary didn't have to imagine. Neither did God the Father. And yet it was God's purpose all along to crush his son to draw his enemies near. From the beginning, it was determined that Jesus was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Praise God, it was through his rejection that we were accepted. One final thought from Simeon's words. You know, rather than, than mentioning the horrible deeds that would be done to the Son of God, the Holy Spirit led him to mention that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And I find that interesting. I'm like, why, why be so cryptic, you know? Well, I think perhaps he means that man's sin begins with the evil in his heart. That's a revelation that they clearly needed. Because remember, these were folks that cleaned the outside of the dish, but not the inside. There's perhaps no greater revelation of what is inside a man than what he consistently does. Not just how he behaves when things are easy, but, but the way he responds to temptation or, or to difficulty or to feeling threatened. Some people considered the holiness, the holiest in, in the Jewish society, you know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, these are people that they did so many of the right external things, you know, but, but, but then Jesus revealed the wickedness that was inside them and first by being truly righteous, 
you know, and, and then by, by calling them out on their hypocrisy. But they still justified their actions. How? How can they sit there and say, we're watching this perfect guy who we've never seen actually commit a real sin and still think we're better than he is? How? I'll tell you how. Jeremiah tells us how in 17, verse 9 and 10. It's because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's a depressing thought. I mean... Evil people may think they have pure motives, but God knows. In fact, he answers his own question. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So you see, God knows about man's sin. But we're, I think we're pretty good about pretending. There's even a book, the title came out back when I was really, really small, or maybe even before I was born, it's called, I'm okay, you're okay. You, you remember that, some of you? Yeah? Yeah, no, you're not okay. I'm not either. We are not okay. And we need to be aware of this. No one's really okay. We are all sinners who need God's salvation. And that is why he sent his only begotten son to give eternal life to those who believe and to make us holy like himself. Now Luke adds one more little bit to this story. It's a very sweet epilogue. Uh, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So uh, it's possible, you know, usually they would get married fairly young. Perhaps she got married, let's just say 18. Maybe at 25 she was widowed. And now, nearly 60 years later, She's in the temple worshiping God. It says, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, clearly, Anna was another righteous and devout person like Simeon, whom God had accepted due to her faith. Okay? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What an awesome example we have here. I mean, what, what better role could a believer play than to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who wait for redemption? Is there a more noble cause that we could be devoted to? I mean, if we look around us, y'all, the world is falling apart. People are more socially isolated, they're more despairing, they're more anxious than ever. Church, there are people who are waiting for redemption even though they don't know it yet. And we can be the, the Simeons, we can be the Annas that God uses to reveal His plan to them. We, we might be the means through, through which God pervades his message of their desperate need for a Savior. So, so let me ask you, do, do you feel that fire in your belly? I mean, do, do you have that joy, that, that sense of, of urgency and purpose that these two elderly saints had? Are you too busy fussing over what is than what God has promised will be? This morning, I finished Revelation along with the, the Bible plan, which, by the way, I emailed you 
the Bible plan and I posted it on Facebook, I want you to sign up. I want you to join in with me. Join in on this Bible plan. Finished Revelation today. In Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, it talks about how he's going to wipe every tear from her eye. There's not going to be any more pain, any more sorrow. Can you imagine? That's amazing. What a wonderful promise. We need to be focused on what's coming because that's going to make us live with a whole lot more joy and a whole lot less head in the sand. Listen, this, this right here, this is what his church is called to do. So let's, let's stop shirking our duty and tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. And if you're afraid that your witness isn't good enough to tell people about Christ, then here's the thing. Don't keep your mouth shut. Change your witness. Anyway, do, do you not know we all have a role in salvation of the people around us? God has given us that role. We don't save them, but he uses us to save them. You know that. We know that. It's part of why we're having an evangelism class. We need to grow. We need to step out of our comfort zones. And we have a chance. Tomorrow's a new, you know, it's a new year. That shouldn't really mean anything, but for some reason it kind of does to us, doesn't it? Every day is a new day. God's mercies are new every morning, friends. And those in our families, in our, in, our, in our communities, in the world around us, they need Jesus. So friends, literally for the sake of Christ, let's quit ignoring our holy responsibility and let's embrace that role. That's what we're called to do. Now, some of you guys still haven't embraced what God has called you to to begin with, which is to place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. And some of you probably have done that, but you haven't taken the additional steps that the Bible commands of you. Repent of your sin. Confess Him. Be baptized, immersed in water. And then walk in obedience. This is what we're called to do, friends. Today could be your day. Don't worry about 2024 being your year. Jesus might come back today. We don't know. Today could be your day. Choose rightly.